Welcome to episode 43 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in virtual studio by my good friend, my colleague, and the man who will not let quarantine or any other sort of circumstances surrounding COVID slow him down from single-handedly saving Grace College and Theological Seminary, John Sloat. Wow. Wow. Thanks for that uh, added pressure there, uh, there, Doc. Yeah. Just to clarify, you're not in quarantine. I'm just saying that, uh, mm. no, you, you are, you are fully healthy as far as we know. So yeah, as far as uh, physically fully healthy. Yes. Yes. I don't know about mentally, but, but we're, yes. we're here, we're alive and, uh, and we're recording an episode. Yes. Yes. The streak continues. We are, uh, we are attempting to be the Cal Ripken of the podcasting world here. So, um, we, we've definitely transitioned into the early winter, late fall weather that we've got going on around here. Yeah, it's still not super cold. We're in the 50s, mostly, you know, 40s Ish. and 90s, something like that. So I'm, I'm still growing grass. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> this is the time to plant, you know. So, so we've, uh, we've got grass growing. Um, yeah, and, and frankly, just trying to stay warm at this point. Yeah, we've got the uh, we've got the fireplace going in the Harmon household recently, so mm. you know, enjoying that that cozy feel. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's let's jump right into sports. Uh, we just got through NFL Week Seven. We're recording on a Monday afternoon here, so we haven't seen the Monday night game. But who is playing? Yeah. By the way, who, who? I, I don't even I don't even remember. There's a I, Monday night game, right? What's that? There is a Monday night game? There, there's got to be. There's got to be, doesn't there? I think there has to be, but I can't think of it. In any case... Um, Chicago and the Rams, there it oh, is. Oh, there you go. That could be a decent game. Yeah, it could be fun. The uh, The Cleveland Browns moved to 5-2, and two, rallying oh. past Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. They played a very good game. Burrow, Burrow... Played really, really well. He threw for over 400 yards, and um, he's just limited by his surrounding cast at this point. I mean, it's the the problem in Cincinnati is not the quarterback, that's for sure. But uh, and your Jets, so uh, the the Jets they still lost, but they lost by less than what people expected. I think, right? Yeah, they covered the spread for sure. Um, I did see that uh, some some poor fellow put down a hundred dollar bet on the Jets to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> uh, like a hundred and fifty to one odds or something like that. Um, and if he gets it, it's going to pay out huge. But yeah, it's it, it's an interesting life that he must live. That he has a hundred dollars that he could just as easily light it on fire with a match and have as much productivity out of it. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they lost again, but the first half looked really good. And and part of that is due to, uh, they took play calling away from the head coach for the offense. Okay. Um, who's taking away head, uh, play calling from the head coach and giving it to the office of coordinator. That sounds like a power dynamic nightmare. Yeah. Uh, coaching room. I mean, clearly at this point, they're just trying to get through the season. You know, it's, I, it's hard for me to imagine somebody else being worse than them this year and ending up with the number one pick. 
but I have seen uh, suggestions for for Trevor Lawrence to refuse to go to the New York Jets if he were drafted there, like sort of like an Eli Manning did with refusing to go to uh, the Chargers, I think it was, right? Yeah, he refused to go to the Chargers. And I think um, Peyton Manning was also considering coming out his junior year, uh, but the Jets had the number one pick. And so Peyton Manning decided to stay his senior year at Tennessee um, and ended up with the Colts. Yeah, so... um... I mean, it, I can understand that in the sense of, you know, I mean, the, the entire organization is uh, pretty much a dumpster fire. And even it seems like they struggle to, if they get talent, to use it or to develop it. Yeah, I, no, I think that's fair. I would not blame Trevor Lawrence if he said like, no, thank you. Don't want to go to the Jets. I think that makes perfect sense. Um I think it's just a, I think you need new ownership. Um, and I think um, once that happens, you'll get a regime in there who can maybe do something worthwhile and you move on from there. I, I, I don't like it when owners are commenting on the coach or the quarterback or anything like that. Uh, case in point, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I think an overly involved owner does not lead to good things. Well, that's a good transition to talking about how bad the NFC East is. It is historically <laughs> awful. Uh, yeah, and it's not a pretty it's not a pretty situation. It's not close losses either, all over the place. And what's what's interesting is apparently, you know, these guys they run they run numbers and that sort of thing. But I saw I saw someone say that it was even theoretically possible that the winner of that division could win the division with four wins that they could go literally four and 12 and potentially win the division. Now that's unlikely, but it seems very likely that the winner of the NFC East will not be a 500 team. Well, it's probably just as likely as like the Cowboys just win out the rest of the season as well. You know, that that's probably just as likely to happen that, uh, that a four, a four win team makes the playoffs, but, and not only would a four win team make the playoff, but because they won their division, they would have home field advantage against a wild card. Yeah. Which would, which would be a nightmare scenario for the NFL. And I think they'd have to rethink their playoff format if that happened. Yeah. Though I think it's like, I can see somebody winning that division going six and 10 and hosting a 10 and six team. Mm -hmm. And that just seems like a a crazy sort of uh, loophole in the, uh, in the rules that there should be some, like I get wanting to reward winning a division, but there's just no way that a six and 10 team should, should have home field advantage over a 10 and 16 kind of situation. Any idea who that could be, who, who, uh, so let's, let's just for all, for the, our purposes here, the Cowboys win that division. Who are they going to play? Uh, another, right. so be an NFC uh, wild card team. It could be the Bears and Packers are both five and one right now. It could be one of those, it, or it, it could be the Buccaneers or Saints. I think it would probably. It could also. It would likely be. I think in my mind, somebody from the NFC West because all of those NFC West teams are really good. Yeah, all those teams are above five hundred. So you've got, um, you know, Seahawks, Cardinals, Rams. 49ers all of them are above 500 so i am not saying all four of those teams are going to make it but 
I, I think three of them, obviously one's going to win the division and two of them will probably get in as wild cards. And they did expand to an extra wild card team this year. So yeah, my guess would be one of those teams out of the NFC West, maybe like the Cardinals. Which I, you know, Cardinals are a young team. I can see them going to Dallas and, uh, or, or frankly, the Eagles also and losing that game. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think if I had to pick somebody out of the NFC East, I'd, I'd probably go with the Eagles unless the Cowboys can get their, get some sort of quarterback situation figured out. I mean, Andy Dalton's now in the concussion protocol. So who knows when he's going to come back? Well, and they have to get their house in order a little bit. Um, Did you see this week that some players gave an interview, uh, an anonymous interview saying the coaches don't know what they're doing. They seem lost. They seem. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, it, you know who comes out of this looking great? Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett looks amazing coming out of this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's worth considering whether Mike McCarthy will survive the year. It's that bad. Mm-hmm. Even though he's won a Super Bowl in Green Bay and came in highly regarded. It seems like he has not gotten control of that locker room or, or that that's that franchise. No, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, that's the state of the NFL. Um, some of it quite good. The Browns, for instance, the Steelers also look quite good. The Titans also looked good in their game against the Steelers. Um, some of it pretty bad, the Jets, um, and the yes. NFC East. Yes. Yes. Um, so let's move on to college football. And finally, our long national nightmare is over and the big 10 has returned to the field. And uh, Ohio State did as they were expected. They pounded Nebraska into submission, though that game was uh, pretty competitive for the first half. And um, despite the fact that Justin Fields looked amazing, he was 20 of 21 for like 270 yards or something like that. And the only incompletion was a pass that he threw on the money that the wide receiver caught and then got upended and fell funny and then dropped it on the way down. So Mm. he was one drop away from a perfect day and looked uh, fantastic. So what's the Matt Harmon assessment there? Is is it as good as you expected the Buckeyes to be? Is it better? Is it a little, you know, they have some growing to do. What's the assessment? So uh, Justin Fields, looks fantastic looks like he's improved from last year if that's possible and um our wide receivers are crazy good we've got two starting wide receivers who uh are definite pure nfl talents chris olave and then this garrett wilson uh was a five-star recruit out of texas a sophomore this year is just absolutely crazy good they both had over a hundred yards receiving and there was a freshman uh, whose name is, I think it's Jackson Smith Najigba. How's that for a name? He's a true freshman and was uh, the Texas six, a Mr. Football. So like their biggest high school division, Mr. Football Okay, m- made one of the more incredible back of the end zone catches 
where he contorted his body and got one toe in. It was all over Sports Center and other other sites, so you can certainly find the video footage of it. But it it was impressive. Yeah, I saw the I saw the highlights of that. It was impressive. Uh, the offensive line did not run block as well as they needed to. That's one one concern. And the defensive line had some issues early in the game, stopping the run and getting some pressure. But overall, impressive. Okay, okay. And uh, and what about the rest of college football? So one of the bigger stories was the fact that IU upset Penn State in overtime on a controversial call. Uh, I don't know if you saw the video footage of this, but – Basically, um, IU looked like they were going to lose. And as a result, uh, the comeback was, was completely unexpected. So Penn State made a mistake of they're up. Um, let's see. They were up one with, uh, with like a minute 40 left. And they had gotten the ball, uh, turnover on downs. And they made the mistake of scoring. IU let them score. And mm. you can see the Penn State running back gets to the goal line and realizes, oh, no, I wasn't supposed to score. <laughs> but it was too late, got across the goal line. So they go up eight. And then IU marches down, ties it with like less than 20 seconds left. They go into overtime. IU gets the ball second, goes for the two-point conversion after they score the touchdown. And their quarterback runs out to the left side and does this full extension. Superman touches the ball to the pylon. They rule it a a good two point conversion and they reviewed it for like five minutes. And it's, it's one of those where whatever the call on the field is, it really has to stand. There's no definitive evidence either way. So the Penn state fans feel like they got hosed, but they made enough mistakes to deserve that loss. I I did see video of that. That was an impressive, uh, an impressive stretch for sure. Yeah. Uh, Probably the other one, um, both Wisconsin and uh, that team up North had impressive wins. Clemson struggled a little bit with Syracuse unexpectedly Mm. through three quarters before they opened it up and, and won. So, Uh, but we can't take the whole episode for the sports segment here, but we, we, we do have to talk about, the world series. Yeah. Game four. I mean, what a game. Now I only saw the highlight of the, of the play where uh, of the, of the game winning play for Tampa. So why don't you talk us through that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I only saw highlights as well because, uh, because John goes to is a responsible adult goes to bed on time. Um, <laughs> it doesn't stay up to 1230 watching baseball anymore. And anymore. <laughs> And it was a, it was a bit of a back and forth game. Dodgers were up early. The Rays came back. Uh, it came down. The Rays or the Rays were down two, um, or excuse me, they were down one. Yeah. Um, and uh, and hit a, they had a, they had a man on must have been first and second. Um, guy hit a single um, into uh, the outfield. And uh, one guy uh, comes home and scores easily, tying the game. Uh, the guy behind him runs halfway down, realizes the ball has gotten to the pitcher and goes to turn around to, to run back to third, stumbles and falls. Um, they throw it home. The catcher goes to catch the ball and sweep with it. All of a sudden realizes 
he never got it. Um, the runner is, is getting up, trying to run back to third, and then starts running home and, and eventually just sort of lays down on, the, on, the, on home plate uh, for, uh, for the walk, the weirdest walk-off I think I've ever seen in my life. Pretty strange, yeah, pretty strange. It, it was very strange, but it was, in a, very, it was a very exciting game. Um, it was, uh, it was uh, a lot of fun to watch, and uh, yeah, yeah. So um, Dodgers won last night. They're up 3-2 in the series. One yeah, game. and I think uh, game six is Tuesday night, so the the night that this episode releases. So we could have a world, we will have a World Series champion as of next episode when we record. So that's right, that's right. Well, we are in the late stages of October, and so uh, our main topic for today is a lesser known holiday, one that. Uh, actually happens on the same day as a far more widely known holiday. <laughs> and that holiday is Reformation Day, October 31st, which is obviously far more widely known as Halloween. Yep. But uh, Reformation Day, October 31st. And, uh, and John, what, what is Reformation Day? Um, Reformation Day uh, is, oh, goodness, the day we remember, the day we celebrate, how, however you want to phrase that. Uh, uh, Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg uh, church door. Yes. Yeah. In 1517, I think was the year. So, yeah. And so uh, that was the day where, where Luther did that. And it's an interesting uh, kind of action, right? It's, it's something that sounds funny to us, but was that an especially strange thing to do in 1517 to nail something to a church door? Well, it was, it was a call for a debate, you know, it's just like, I, I have these things that I'm proposing and I'd like to debate them. Um, and yeah. so it, it, it was, it was a pretty normal thing. It was kind of a call for debaters for, for people to come out and uh, argue against him. And these, uh, these 95 theses were different aspects of, um, of life and doctrine and practice in the church, in the Catholic church, that Luther found either problematic or that there were abuses to them. So um, what, were some, what, what were some of these theses or what were some of the issues that that provoked luther to want to debate these uh these issues well the one that comes to the front of my mind is just the selling of indulgences um right that uh that you could pay the church in order to indulge yourself a little bit you could you could you could give a certain amount of money and uh and commit a certain kind of sin and and, and it was it was cool by the church's standards um, there's also, there, there's also the problem of, um, uh, paying for past relatives to get out of purgatory, uh, more quickly, right? Uh, there's some lovely rhymes and things that we can, we can pull out from them. I'd, I'd have to pull down a church history book to find them, but <laughs> lovely, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember one right now, but, but I think like there's one, like the moment in the coffer, a coin rings, a, pur a soul from purgatory springs or so that that's, that's a rough estimate of it that's something like that yeah um so so those those are two that jump to the front of my mind and that i cover in 
uh, church history. Um, what, what were some of the other ones? Well, one of the striking things that I always try to highlight for people when they look at the 95 Theses is actually the first one that, that Luther stresses that the whole of the Christian life is to be one of repentance. And he's mm -hmm. starting to make this distinction between penance in the Catholic tradition and an active sort of repentance in the heart and, and mind of the, of the believer. So it's interesting that he made that his first, uh, his first point. And, and from within a Catholic point of view, you know, penance is in essence kind of paying for your own sins. Like, you, you know, you did something wrong and so you need to pay off the wrong that you've done. So you do a certain number of good things to make up for it. Um, he also criticizes the Pope a little bit in there as well. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it goes, it goes after the Pope. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that he does. Uh, and I think it should be stressed, though, at, at this point when Luther does this, he's not saying, I want to start a whole new branch of Christianity. He's looking to uh, debate these things because he wants to bring reform from within the Catholic Church. And it's only as his thinking and his theology continues to develop that he actually begins to move towards breaking away from the Catholic Church and saying, yeah, the Catholic Church is just not, uh, it, it's so uh, corrupt, so apostate in so many ways that we need to go our own separate ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and it took some time for me to get there. I think, I th you know, a lot of people think, uh, kind of like you just said, that, that his original intent was to start a new church was never it. He wanted, he wanted to, to, um, he wanted to, to, uh, always be a part of, of the Catholic church. Yeah. So he is obviously one of the key figures of the, of the reformation. And, and that act is, uh, of nailing the theses to the, to the church door is, is a, it's sort of a signpost, a sort of benchmark of when the Reformation in one sense kind of began. But there were already precursors to this, uh, other figures who had expressed concerns about corruption in the church and that kind of thing. But um, over time, I think what, what what's come to happen is that as people look at the Reformation, one of the helpful kind of grids that's been used to help us kind of conceptualize this is, is what are called the five solas. So I'm confident, John, that in your church history class, you talk about the, the five solas a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so why don't you start us off with what, what, and, and just to clarify, sola is the Latin word for alone. Mm -hmm. So that's where that, that, that comes from. So let's talk through these five solas here. What, John, why don't you start us off with the first one there? Sure. So uh, sola scriptura, um, that, uh, that scripture alone is the final authority uh, for us. It's, how we it's what we base um, our church practice on. It's what we base our Christian life on. Um, it is, and, and probably in the Reformation, uh, contrary to, to a pope or a government looking for, for that final authority on, on spiritual matters and, and life matters, um, we look to scripture and scripture alone. 
Yeah, one of the big pieces there is the fact that the Catholic Church would argue it's scripture plus tradition that is a big that that is sort of the ultimate authority there. And the the reformers came along and said, no, ultimately scripture stands alone as an authority, and any other benefit of tradition is is far secondary to anything that scripture itself says. Mm-hmm. I think the next two kind of go together. Uh, sola fide and sola gratia. So uh, faith alone and grace alone. So we're saved by faith alone, not by any works that we do. And we're saved by grace alone in that um, it's God's gracious acts that act that saves us. We don't deserve it. We haven't merited being saved. We, we haven't done anything to earn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fourth one, uh, all of that, the the uh, by faith alone and grace alone, is uh, is by Christ alone that Christ has accomplished that uh, on the cross. Yeah, and the the fifth one, the culminating one, is uh, sola deo gloria to for the glory of God alone. Mm-hmm. That you've got uh, all of life, everything in the church is supposed to be oriented towards God's glory in salvation. So those five solas kind of came to characterize the distinctives, but it should be pointed out there, there was a pretty wide diversity within the Protestant Reformation in terms of theology and church practice and that kind of thing. I mean, we living over 500 years after the, the, the opening shots of the Reformation can well attest to the you know, hundreds of denominations that have sprung out of the Reformation in terms of different theological and ecclesiological practices. So, you know, it's, it is something that uh, has splintered pretty significantly. I wanted to ask you, John, do you have a favorite reformer? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I do. Um, if if I was forced to to move toward one, I, I often think of, and I think this is the first reformer I actually learned about uh, when I was in my my uh, Baptist church in Tennessee. Used to have a, a children's church that I was a part of, and they would teach through church history um, as a part of the children's church, which was very unique. I had never been a part of anything like that, or yeah. have heard of anything like that since. Um, and I think the first reformer that I, that I, um, that I learned about was, was John Wycliffe. Um, and so I, I think John Wycliffe, uh, would certainly be at the top of that list. Um, really, uh, at times working with, uh, the English crown and sometimes working against the English crown. Um, he was a man captured by the conviction of, of the word of God and, uh, yeah. you know, eventually just sort of, sort of went on the pastor and uh, pastored for a long time. And his teaching was so wide that it, w- that it was read by men like Huss and Luther eventually, as well as Calvin. And, uh, and the Catholic Church was so upset with him uh, that even long after he died, they, they dug up his bones and burned them uh, because they were so upset with what he had done. And I, l- I love that little factoid. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's next level hatred right there. Yes, yes, next level stuff. Um, how about yourself? Any, any favorite... Uh, uh, reformer. So I think it's it's difficult for me to choose between um, Luther and Calvin. So I, in fact, uh, 
maybe a, a, a lesser known fact. Uh, you know this, obviously. When I used to consistently run my blog, I had a regular feature called Mondays with Marty. Yeah. Where I would put up a Martin Luther quote every Monday. And some of them were quite profound and uh, spiritually impacting. And others were just uh, funny and borderline irreverent at points or just um, a little, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh not suitable for public content sometimes. I, there, I, I have a, there's a book that's called Table Talk, or actually it's called Off the Record with Martin Luther. And so he'd have students come over to his house mm-hmm. and he'd say these outlandish things and his students would be writing them down. And then they later published them <laughs> of his sort of off the cuff, private commentary on life uh, and such. So in fact, I think I've shared some of those with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are, you know, you say not for public consumption. I was going to use the word crass, some of them, you know. Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, I remember Mondays with Marty. I remember coming to class um, talking about what had been on Mondays with Marty. <laughs> with some of my but uh, I also, I also appreciate Calvin because he was, he was a blend of a, of a, of a scholar and a pastor. You know, he's he's most well known for his scholarly writings, but he was very much a pastor mm-hmm. as well, and someone who, despite wanting to live the life of the academic, um, was often regularly pulled into the uh, everyday sort of nitty gritty pastoral ministry as well. So, Calvin's always the guy I point to when people come to me and say. Well, I might be called to ministry, but I could do something else and be happy. And isn't that the real test? And I go, Calvin didn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Calvin wanted Calvin wanted to be writing, and uh, and he regularly felt pulled in the pastoral ministry, though. And yet, he still produced an enormous amount of work. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so is the Reformation still a big deal, John? Why does it matter today? I mean. Haven't we kind of gotten past this, you know, can't we all just get along and make common cause with the Catholic church? Does it really matter these finer points of doctrine about justification and such? Yeah, I, <laughs> um, they do matter. Uh, and um, I, I think we still have good reason to be separated. Uh, I think there are things we can work together on. I, I fancy myself a little bit more ecumenical, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but not to the point where I think we need to, you know, let's re, let's let's end the Protestant movement and rejoined uh, the Catholic Church. Um, you know, I, I, I still think there are good, good reasons to uh, to, to be uh, on our own and to be uh, to be uh, to be separate. Just just based on things like goodness, we still believe in sola scriptura and uh, the Catholic Church is not there. Yeah. And. Part of what gets tricky, I think, too, is the fact that when you look at official Catholic doctrine, there's still a very sharp distinction between what we as Protestants believe and what Catholics believe. What gets tricky sometimes is that uh, there's a lot of local Catholic parishes that don't necessarily toe the line on official Catholic doctrine. But at the end of the day, uh, the Catholic Church still teaches a version of salvation by faith plus works. And that's just a, uh, a non-negotiable when it comes to a right understanding of the gospel. Yeah, I to- couldn't agree more. Um, 
Now, Doc, you're you're famous um, in in a very particular circle <laughs> for for celebrating Reformation Day. Uh, do you want to walk through what what your celebration has uh, consisted of? Yeah, so we've done uh, Reformation parties um, on campus in years past. It's been a while since we since we've done one, but. Uh, We've done them where we've had students dress up as different figures from the Reformation. In fact, you yourself have participated in, in such mm-hmm. revelry. Um, my wife and I will on occasion dress up as Martin and Katie Luther. Mm-hmm. And um, students will dress up. We had a student uh, who in the past dressed up as a burning heretic, someone who'd been burned at the stake. And so... They, uh, they managed to even go so far as to burn a piece of their hair. So they had the smell of burn burning on them when they came in. That's too far. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Uh, and other students, I think you might even be in this, in this category, dressing up as the door of the Wittenberg church. So I, uh, I came, I don't dress up usually uh, for things. I, I, I don't do Halloween. Um, so I did not dress up. I think I came one year and your wife handed me the, the Wittenberg door. Um, and then uh, children nailed theses to it around me. I think your, both your sons were a part of that. Quite aggressive. Gotcha. I think Kyle Brenneman came one year as the door. <laughs> I think that's the case. In any case, um, so yeah, we, we would do that. Um, we would show a couple of, uh, of fun videos. There's a Reformation Day polka video. That's quite humorous. There's also a 95 Theses rap that uh, is on YouTube as well. We'll have these in the show link, uh, show notes uh, to, to link to those. But um, we'd also have a, a wide variety of snacks many of them oriented around the theme of worms. Now, in, and, and why is that, John? Why, why would we have worm-related snacks? Well, because uh, uh, Luther def- uh, was basically called to um, uh, the, what, what's known as a diet of worms, Germans with their Ws as Vs, you know, like Volkswagen, um, yeah. and... And, uh, and he uh, delivered a, f- a famous statement where uh, he talked about, um, um, oh my goodness, I'm captured to the word of God and to my conscience and I, I can do no other. So help me. Right. So in English, it's spelled like worms. And so mm-hmm. my, uh, my wife in particular loved to make different snacks that were related to things that look like worms. So she made this delightful dirt dessert. It was like a kind of like a, a pudding that had gummy worms in it. Mm. Of course, had uh, salty worms, pretzel sticks. <laughs> and so a lot of, a lot of worm-related kind of things. And of course, I'm sure you can go online and find all sorts of fun recipes for that. We would also, because we often had young children there, we'd play little games like uh, pin, the, pin the theses on the door. We'd blindfold them and have them pin the theses on the door, kind of like, uh, you know, oh, what's the, what's the name of the, of the... Pin the tail on the donkey. Pin yeah. the tail on the donkey. There you go. So this was pin the theses on the Wittenberg door. Mm. 
We'd also play a game called Hide the Bible, where we had hidden a Bible because, you know, the Catholic Church didn't want the, le- the common person to have direct access to the scriptures. So we'd uh, hide a Bible somewhere in the building that we were having the party in and have kids race- racing around trying to find the Bible. So those were some of the fun things that we did there. That's, that's a ton of fun. Um, uh, Doc, um, if people were like, my goodness, I didn't know the Reformation was this big of a deal. Um, what resources would you point them towards? What, like what books if they just wanted to, to learn a bit more? I think the probably the best introduction that's accessible is a book by Michael Reeves called The Unquenchable Flame. And I think if I remember right, do you use that actually in your church history class? Um, I have in the past. I didn't this past year, but I, okay. I might in the future. We'll see. And then another really short, good introduction is by Stephen Nichols called The Reformation, How a Monk and a Mallet Changed the World. So those are two really good uh, introductory level kind of, of books. And we've got a kid's book here as well. Paul Meyer wrote a book called Martin Luther, A Man Who Changed the World. So it's kind of a kid's storybook that does a great job of, mm-hmm. of uh, explaining the Reformation. And I think there's like a a Reformation ABCs or an ABCs of the Reformation book. I don't have that listed there, but I'm pretty sure there's one out there. In any case, those are, those are places I'd probably recommend people start with in terms of that. I I think a friend of the show, Zach Hess could recommend several children's books. I know he has like biographies for his children that they read that are, that are kid oriented of Martin Luther, John Calvin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, We've also got one more recommendation there on the list. There's a, about a 90 minute documentary on YouTube. That's a reformation documentary put together by Ligonier ministries, which is really well done. That walks through the basics of the reformation. So we'll have all that in the show notes. Well, we are at episode 43, which means we need an athlete, John. Oh my goodness. Well, can I, can I work us through uh, the, the list we have here? Please do. A pretty good list. Um, more but, options than we've had at, in some of the more recent episodes. Yeah, yeah. The low 40s and the high 30s were not were not good to us. Um, Troy Palomalu, um, famous famous uh, safety for the Steelers with that with that with the hair still in Head and Shoulders commercials even. Yes. Um, Dennis Eckersley, a reliever for the A's. Yeah, he, he is uh, one of the great relief pitchers of all time, 390 career saves. And he uh, famously, though, is the one who gave up the home run to Kirk Gibson in the, uh, is that the 87, 89, whatever World Series that was where the Dodgers and the, and the A's went, went at it and Kirk Gibson hit the pinch hit home run on one leg. I think it was 87. I believe so. In any case... Um, and then we've got two NBA players, Jack Sigma. You ever heard of Jack Sigma? I have not played for the bucks in the late seventies up through the eighties. I don't know if you ever touched the nineties, but, okay. uh, hall of fame center. And then for our Ohio listeners, Brad Doherty center for the Cavs. Hmm. And now if I'm not mistaken, I think he's a commentator for ESPN's NASCAR coverage. Really? I think so. It's well, one of those weird, like cross sports kind of 
kind of experiences. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Why don't you fact check me while I talk through our Buckeyes here? We've got two I'll list. We've got Ryan Miller, linebacker in the mid-90s, and then another linebacker, one that John Sloat will be familiar with, Darren Lee. Yeah, I'm familiar. From, I'm familiar with Darren Lee. From 2013 to 2015, part of the national championship team. And uh, uh, don't take this too personally, John, but an, another player I feel like the Jets probably ruined uh, when it comes to. <laughs> That's probably fair. You know, I think he was, he, he, sh- he should have had a better pro career than he did. Uh, unfortunately, he did not. So hmm. did you fact check me on Brad Doherty? Did you, did you find anything there? Yeah. Yeah. July 28th, 2020. So recently um, he was announced he'd be an analyst for NASCAR on NBC. There you go. Uh, but he also, I'll, I'll also add that he is co-owner of a NASCAR cup series team. Yeah. Which is interesting. And I don't know how you're the owner of a team and an analyst. How does yeah. that work? I don't know how that works either. Um, Could you imagine Jerry Jones analyzing games? <laughs> That's so no, I can't. Right, anyway, um, we need to pick an athlete. Yeah, uh, who are you leaning towards? I, oh, man, I was about to ask you that question. Um, I mean, I saw a lot of Troy Polamalu live when I when I would attend games in Pittsburgh. Um, so I'm I'm probably leaning Troy Polamalu. Yeah, I think I might be leaning Brad Doherty. Brad Doherty. I mean, think about how unique that is, John. You've got a a, a sort of all an all-star caliber NBA center who's now a NASCAR analyst and now part owner of a NASCAR racing team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's out of the box. I, I, I grant you. I'm not suggesting he's a historically significant athlete on the on the level of a of a Dennis Eckersley, but mm-hmm. you want to go with Palomalu? Well, I'm I'm okay going uh, Brad. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight for it. I. I you asked me who I lean to, and I, I feel like that's just a fascinating combination. We can go is, with somebody totally different. It is fascinating. Um, let, let's go Darren Lee. He played for both the Jets and the Buckeyes. Now, I, you're not going to get an argument out of me. My only concern is, John, when we get to episode 45, there's going to be a Buckeye that I'm going to fight hard for. Okay, let's go Troy Polamalu then. Okay. Like I, I, I don't want me going with Darren Lee today to jeopardize us. Uh, I'm going to fight hard on 45 here. So we got two weeks to come here, but okay. in any case, all right. So we're going Palomalu. Palomalu is fine. I mean the hair, I guess you can't go wrong with the hair. Yeah. Still in commercial, still doing things. Yeah. All right. So one thing you like this week, John. Yeah. So um, because of COVID we were supposed to have, well, we were originally supposed to have a event on campus uh, with our, our dear friend, Zach Hess, um, so he could plug some internships. Uh, because of COVID, we weren't able to do that, so we did it online. Uh, we had great attendance, great questions, and I, I just felt like it was a really profitable night for 
Zach and for our students. And that was that was just a really highlight, just a big highlight from the week and something unique that happened last week. How about yourself? Well, I'm going to go with something pretty obvious, and it's simply the fact that Buckeye football is back. It's Buckeye football is a big deal in the Harmon family. It's a uniting event where we gather together in the basement in front of the uh, large screen television and cheer for the Buckeyes. And it just feels like it's such a part of our family culture. And especially when it comes to the fall that not having it, even though college football was back now, it really feels like college football is back. Now, I don't know if it's going to last because of COVID who knows, but I guess we, I should be thankful that we at least got one Buckeye game in this year. So I'm, I'm choosing to choosing to be grateful for that one Buckeye game. Cause who knows if we'll have any more with COVID stuff. I thought, I thought you were about to call yourself an optimist and. Oh, uh, no, 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 Let, Let's, let's, let's not go that far. I, I'm a, I'm a realist, John. I'm a realist, not an optimist, not a pessimist, just a realist. That's all, that's all that means. Uh, I respectfully disagree, but in any case, I think we are ready to uh, ready to call mission accomplished here. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, plenty of things to, to, uh, to do. We are both busy people with really important jobs with lots of meetings via zoom, no doubt. In fact, we've got a shared one later this afternoon together. So we need to move on with our, uh, with our day, but we are grateful for all of you as our listeners. I guess we didn't, uh, let people know how they could can, uh, connect with the show at the beginning of the episode. I kind of dropped the ball on that, didn't I? We, we did not. I was going to bring it up after the episode, but it's, yeah. I don't know, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Okay. Well, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, hit us up individually. In any case, the episode's running long, so we need to call mission accomplished. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later.